0: This is the New Song Church podcast. You're listening to a service from our church in Oklahoma City. Wherever you're at today, we hope this helps you to better know God and to practice the way of Jesus. Now here's the message. Good good to see you. Would you help me welcome those that are watching online? Let them know that you're glad that they're with us this morning. Y'all feeling good? Y'all good? Spring is sprunging, which is good. Decided so to put on my spring attire this morning. Black. <laughs> I didn't really think about that till I got here, but I am wearing sandals, kinda. So you know, hey, anybody in sandals this morning? Hey, yeah. I do this kind because my toes. I've played sports and it's just not good. It's not good. Bad toes. Ugly toes. Anyways, <laughs> just yeah. I don't know where I'm going with this. If you got your Bible, go to Mark chapter eight. Mark chapter eight. Go ahead and turn there. And as promised, we're going to continue to update you in our new song, uh, Answers Offering. As many of you know, uh, uh, for those of you who've been here a while, I, we, we refresh everybody in this because we want everybody to know what's going on, what God's doing here. Uh, a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago now, we, we shared with you what we feel like God is saying to us as a church in, in reaching the nations and reaching the world. We believe that we're called to be a church that doesn't just touch Edmund. But that reaches uh, to the rest of the world. And so we, we we shared with you some mission trips we're going on and I'm excited. Anybody going on a mission trip this summer with New Song Church? Yes. I'm going to Mexico. I'm super excited about that. Uh, but we've got all sorts of trips lined up and those teams are filling up fast. And so if you're planning on going, you probably need to get going on that. Um, but we, 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 we shared with you that some are going to go, but that all are going to sow. And we talked about how There's this $100,000 offering, God put it on our heart to send out of this house this year, $100,000. To help uh, further the kingdom of God, to help uh, fill the earth with God's glory, God's presence, God's name, and so um, we, we've been sharing with you kind of how we're going to do that and some of the things we're going to be doing. We're going to Mexico uh, to do missions, but beyond that, we're also going to send money there to to help further grow this this school in Puerto Penasco that that we actually helped plant uh, last year. That's going on right now to help expand that that school, that Christian school there. Um, so some of the money is going to go there. Some is going to go to Thailand. Thailand is a is a nation where. Only 2% of people have heard the message of Jesus. And so we're partnering with a ministry that's going into schools there and ministering the message of Jesus Christ, bringing it to people who are hungry for something different. Uh, beyond that, we're going to be doing stuff locally through through ministries like Hope is Alive, through um, through reaching, we're going to do stuff to reach the homeless. We're going to do stuff through, through New Song uh, Serve Saturdays to help touch our city and our community and those that are less fortunate than us. And so um, if you want more information on that, we've got stuff online you can read about where all this money is going to be going. But to give you an update, as of today, this is how much money has come in so far. $40,142.59. Come on, church. So we're we're well on our way of getting there. And I uh, just want to remind you, we're so grateful for all of you who have given. All of you have sown to make this possible. But let me also say this. We know how many people have given, and we've noticed that there's a lot of people that haven't. And, and I come back to, and I'm not saying this to, to put pressure on you, but we really believe that we are called as a church that all of us are called to participate in this, that all of us are called to sow into this. We want all of you to have a part in what God is doing. And I think what happens sometimes is that we look at how much we have really that we can give, and we think because it's not significant, it's really not worth giving, or that somebody else will take care of it because what I have is not very much. Let me just encourage you. One of the things we see in the ministry of Jesus, in fact, there's there's a few times in Scripture where you see Jesus kind of bringing everybody's attention To something that's happening kind of like pointing out like look at this and and one of the only times in scripture where jesus ever points anybody to giving he does it with this widow who drops two copper coins in the offering in other words he 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 draws the disciples attention to one of the smallest gifts given but but the point was it's not about the amount given it's about the heart behind it and so my encouragement to you is what is god saying to you I believe every one of us are called to be a part of this. We're all called. It's not, this isn't a call for just a select few. We're all called to be a part of sending uh, what God has, has generously given to us of using that, leveraging that to be a part of God working and building the kingdom of God, not just here in this church, but outside of the four walls of this church. So even if, if you're a student and what you can give is $5, let me just tell you, get in on this. Get in on this. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. I was raised in a church that taught me about generosity when I was young, and I got it when I was young because getting it when I was young helped me to be able to continue maintain it when I got older. Yeah. I learned how to give when I didn't have much, but it's what I had to give, and so when the number when the amounts got bigger, they stayed the same because my heart was a generous heart. Are you with me this morning? Yeah. So my encouragement is just, hey, what's God saying to you, and just be obedient to what God's saying to you. Amen. Amen. All right. Mark chapter eight. We are uh, beginning a brand new series today called Questions Jesus Asked. And this series is going to lead us right up to Easter, which Easter's early this year. March 30th is is Easter weekend. It's about five weekends away. And so we'll share with you more what's going on here at New Song Church this Easter. We're excited about what God's going to be doing this Easter. But Easter's coming up. And we were, we were looking at this year, planning this year, and we thought, you know, leading up to Easter, let's really, let's really focus in on Jesus as we approach Easter. Obviously, we always focus on Jesus, but we want to do a series that specifically was, was looking at Jesus and looking at the questions Jesus asked. If you look at the ministry of Jesus and the life of Jesus, one of the things you're going to notice is questions were a major part of his ministry. In fact, in the, in the three and a half years... That that Jesus was here doing ministry during those years of ministry and that are recorded in the Gospels, there are 183 questions that are asked of Jesus recorded in the Gospels. Now, obviously, there was probably more questions than that asked of him, because most of you, especially if you have kids, you probably get asked 180 questions in a day. But but he gets asked this many questions. Of those 183 questions that Jesus was asked, you know how many he directly answered? Three. <laughs> Which is awesome. It, it, most of the time what Jesus would do is when he was asked a question, he would respond by, by like with a question. He would respond by kind of directing their question to a question he would ask. In, in fact, that's one of the things you see in the life of Jesus. 307 times in the gospels, he asks questions. Now that's interesting to me because you think about it. When we ask a question, typically we're asking a question because we're looking for information, right? Right church, you with me at 11 o'clock? We're asking a question because there's something that we, we don't know that we want to know. And so we're trying to gain through a question, we're trying to gain some understanding, but but understand like that Jesus didn't need to do that. Jesus was the son of God. He was God made flesh. And yes, when Jesus came to this earth, there were certain aspects of his divinity that he put on pause so that he could live among us the way that we would live. So he put on pause, his, his ability to be omniscient, to know everything. And yet the Bible tells us in John 3 that he had the spirit without measure, which means he had a perfect relationship with the Holy Spirit of God, who is omniscient. So through the Holy Spirit, he had, he had access to all knowledge, all wisdom. So Jesus knew everything. And yet that Jesus asked 300 plus questions. And that points us to this truth. Jesus didn't ask questions because he was looking for information. His questions were an invitation to transformation. Jesus wasn't trying to gain information, he had all the information. He was inviting us to transformation. I love how A.W. Tozer puts it. He says, "Christ, Christ didn't inquire for information. His questions were posed not to gain knowledge, but to expose it. And in exposing it, to transform our hearts to transform the hearts of those who pondered. So the questions Jesus asked were not about him gaining information. They were, about, they, were, they were asked so that we could gain information, and through that information, they would bring about transformation in our lives. So that's what we're hoping for over the next five weeks of this series as we look at some of these questions Jesus asked, that there would be a work of transformation that would take place in our hearts, in our lives, that there would be an exposure that would take place to, to maybe some of the motives, some of the things that are going on, you know, behind the scenes. You know, it, the reality is that the questions are, a, are can be a doorway to self-awareness. Like, I don't know if this ever happens to you, but if I'm being totally transparent, there's some times in my life where I can be doing some kind of weird stuff. Anybody relate to this? <laughs> and And a good question can kind of wake me up out of my stupor. Like, I'll be... So I, I, I love music. I've listened to a lot of music. I was, I was raised in church and I was raised in 80s church. Any people with me here today, 80s church? And so sometimes there's these songs from, the, from 80s church that have a very Russian vibe to them that will come back to me. It just pop back up in my head and I'll just be you know singing, blow the trumpet in Zion or whatever. Anybody, anybody, anybody? anybody? Yeah, okay, a few of you. And so this, this stuff comes up and I'm, I'm singing. I'm, I'm completely unaware that it's even happening completely unaware, or I'm just humming something or guys, sometimes I make a noise. I just will be making noises. Anybody relate to this? You just make noises, weird noises. You know, it's funny. I'm I'm finding that I'm making a lot more noises when I move nowadays. (laughs) It's weird. Like I get up and sit down and I make noises. And I remember being a kid and my dad would do that. And I'd be like, why does he do that? And now It's me. It's me. I do stuff, guys. I do weird stuff. And luckily for me, by the grace of God, I've been given a wife. And, and she, she is like, she has a role in my life of exposing my weirdness to me. She's good at it. She doesn't miss it. She doesn't miss it. And so I'll be doing something weird and Sarah will be like, hey, 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 what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Why are you the way that you are? And I'll be honest, when it happens, you feel exposed. You feel a little bit like, oh man, what's wrong with me? Why am I but but the reality is I know she, she means good. She's, she's just trying to protect me from ruining our family name, embarrassing my children, having them lose respect for me. So I'm grateful for it, all right? But here, but here's the point. There, there's times in our life, I think we can all relate to this, where we just kind of we're unaware, and maybe we drift into some areas of like autopilot. And in that unaware state, like we need a good question to kind of resound in our life like an alarm clock that kind of wakes us up out of our stupor. Because there may be some areas in our life where we're forfeiting some of what God has for us, where we're, we're missing out on some stuff because we just aren't aware that we're in a rut or that we're just kind of asleep at the wheel. You, you follow me this morning? So that's what I believe God wants to do through this series. And that's what I'm praying, is that in these areas where maybe we've drifted into autopilot, in these areas where, where we're unawares, in these areas where, we're, where we need transformation, that God would wake us up to the reality of what it means to, to be a child of God and and to show us where we may be missing it. So if you can get on board with that, say amen. amen. Let's bow our heads, pray, and then we'll jump into today's question. Lord. We thank you for your word, and we ask that you would use it today to transform our lives. Lord, where we are asleep at the wheel, God, wake us up. Lord, where we have drifted into ruts, God, pull us out. Lord, where we are believing lies, shine your light of truth on those things. We want to see you the right way, and so we invite you, Lord, like an alarm clock, to to sound in our hearts and our lives today to wake us up what's possible through you, Lord. We thank you for what you're going to do. We give you glory and honor for it. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Mark chapter 8, questions Jesus asked. It's actually a two for today. You get two for the price of one. Here we go. Verse 27, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, so here's the first question, who do people say I am? Jesus says, hey, what are people saying about me? What's the conversation around the, you know, the water cooler about who I am? Who do people, what are people saying about who, who I am? Verse 28, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others still one of the prophets. Verse 29, the second question, he pushes in a little bit further, but what about you? Look at the person beside you and say, what about you? What about you? Who do you say I am? Jesus asked two questions. Who do people say I am? And then he pushes it a little bit tighter, makes it more personal. Who do you say I am? And listen, church, this is one of the most important questions. This is such an important question to get right. If you don't get this question right, who do you say I am? If you don't get that right, I'm just telling you, nothing else is gonna be right. Who do people say I am? Who do you say I am? Now, during Jesus's ministry here on this earth, there was a lot of debate about who he was and what he was doing, a lot like there is today. And you know that the disciples heard some of this. In fact, you know that because Jesus is asking them, what are people saying about me? You know that they're hearing some of the talk that's going on. In fact, I'm sure there's probably people walking up to the disciples on a regular basis going, who is this guy? Like, what is this? Who who does this guy think he is? And so Jesus understands that. And so he asked this question. 2,000 years ago, he asks these These questions, who do people say I am? Who do you say I am? And these questions are still so important today. In fact, if you're taking notes, write this down. Who you say Jesus is will define who you are, how you live, and where you end up for eternity. I'm gonna say it again. Who you say Jesus is will define who you are, how you live, and where you end up for eternity. That's a big question, isn't it? Eternity's on the line. How you live is on the line. Who you're becoming is on the line. Who do you say Jesus is? To you, let me say it like this. To you, who is Jesus? Now, it's interesting how Jesus asks this question because he doesn't just ask, who do you say I am? He starts by saying, who do people say I am? And the reason why he does this is because who you say Jesus is, like who, say it like this, who people say Jesus is has a way of shaping who you say Jesus is. Like whether you recognize it or not, what you have heard about Jesus has defined how you view Jesus in some way. What you've heard about Jesus. Some of you, uh, maybe you were raised in a home or your, your parents or whoever the, the, these figures were in your life that were raising you, um, they, they taught you something about Jesus. In some way, maybe they taught you that, that, like they should, that Jesus is the center of it all, that he's what this is all about, that he is the point. And so we live our lives surrendered unto him. We do everything unto him. He is God. He is Lord. And we are, we, are, we are his disciples practicing his way, chasing after him with everything we've got. If they did that, you had a message of Jesus there. And that's a great message. It's probably helped form your life. But, but, but then maybe you, you got a different message. Maybe you, you grew up in a home where your parents kind of practiced what we call cultural Christianity, which is very normal today, where, where the things of God were kind of like, it's kind of like a, a pie. And, and there's this section over here, and that's the God section. And, you know, our parents did this, and so we're doing this, and we're going to raise our kids in church, and we're going to come to churches as much as this, you know, the sports schedule allows, and, and we're going we're gonna to do some of this church stuff because, we, you know, we got to make sure our, our eternity is secure. And so this is where, you know, this is kind of how we define God in our life. That shaped how you view Jesus. Or maybe you had a, a family that taught you like, Jesus isn't a thing. Like, God's not real. This is, this is make-believe. That stuff's fairy tale. We don't believe in that. Well, that, that message shaped you in some way. For good or bad, how we're raised affects how we see Jesus, our view of Jesus. Maybe your view of Jesus uh, was shaped in, in a large way by a friend. Maybe you had a friend who invited you to go to a youth camp or invited you to be a part of a Bible study and that relationship that you had, what they said about Jesus helped shape you and form you and help start you on your spiritual journey of, of being transformed in the image of Jesus Christ. Maybe your, your view of Jesus, what you say about Jesus has been formed by culture. It's been formed by what you've heard through the media. It's been formed by uh, what you've seen with televangelists. Hello. (laughs) It's, it's been formed by what you've heard in the news media, what, 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 pe- what famous people have said. I don't know what shaped your view of Jesus, but there's been voices in your life that have shaped in some way your view of Jesus. What people have said about Jesus has a way of affecting how we see Jesus. Now, if that's true, here's the question we have to ask ourselves: What did they say, and is that true? And is, And do I believe that because I've experienced that, and I've come to know that for myself, or to, to steal a line from a Fleetwood Mac song, is this just secondhand news? Am I just believing this because this is what somebody else has said and I've taken that and I've run with that and that's kind of how I'm living my life. To you, but the question is this though, to you, who is Jesus? Because let me just tell you, it doesn't matter what kind of home you grew up in, you don't get to inherit your walk with God. Just because your parents were Christians and, and they raised you to things of God doesn't mean you're automatically in. Doesn't mean that you you can answer that question to you who is Jesus. You have to answer that question for you. Yeah. You're not gonna be able to stand before the Lord and say, Well, I had I had really godly parents. But but who am I to you? You you can't you can't say, Well, I, I was married to a really godly woman, to you who is Jesus. This is a personal question that you have to lean into to you. Do you personally know Jesus for yourself or is he just secondhand news? Francis Chan says this, the world may ask who is Jesus, but the more important question is who is Jesus to you? His identity demands a personal response that shapes your character, purpose, and eternity. Now, To gain some insight into the weight of this question when Jesus asks it to his disciples, we have to look at some of what Jesus has been doing and saying uh, leading up to this moment. So uh, before um, uh, Mark chapter 8, we have Mark chapter 6 because that's how numbers work. And in Mark chapter 6, Jesus does this miracle. He multiplies food. The Bible records that there's the, this group of, it says 5,000 men. Now we, we know that that was just the men that were recorded in this story, uh, that, but there were children and there were, there were women there. So there could have been another seven to 8,000 more people there. The, the point is this, there were thousands and thousands of people there. And all Jesus had to feed them with was this little boy's lunch that had, uh, that had five loaves of bread and two fish. This is all he has. And he takes this food and, and it's multiplied. And it's not like, guys, in case you're wondering, he didn't just like take a little gram off of the food and just make this food stretch. It actually records in the scripture that when, it, when the miracle is all said and done, they have more food than they started with. There's 12 baskets of food left over. So this is a miracle, a legit miracle. In Mark chapter eight, in the beginning of the story, the uh, beginning of the chapter, Jesus feeds 4,000. This time he does it with seven loaves of bread. And at the end of this miracle, there's seven baskets of bread left over. So once again, Jesus multiplies food. He feeds all these people. After this, right after this, Jesus gets on a boat with his disciples. And we have what we're about to read here. Mark chapter 8. This is an amazing and yet I find really funny story of Jesus with his disciples. Verse 14, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Okay, so Jesus has just fed 4,000 people. There's seven baskets of bread left over. They're getting on the boat and they didn't bring any bread with them. There's, There's like, they just left the baskets. One of the disciples got a piece of bread apparently put a loaf. I don't know who it was. I have my guesses. Pocketed a loaf. So they got that loaf, but that's all they got. Now here's the thing though. Like Jesus has been multiplying food for thousands, right? So this isn't really a problem. You know, surely he can take this one loaf of bread and make it stretch to feed and, and multiply it if he needs to, to make sure everybody's taken care of. Well, it says this in verse 15, Jesus, who is brilliant, who knows exactly what's going on, who who knows what they're thinking, uses this to leverage this this bread moment here. He leverages that to speak a truth to them. He says, be careful, Jesus warned them, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They interpret that to mean Jesus is upset because we didn't bring any bread. Look at what it says. Verse 16, they discussed with one another and said, it's because we have no bread. He's, he's. oh, Jesus is, I think Jesus is hungry. And we just got this one loaf and he's not, like we must've missed it there. I'm, you know, I, I get a sense a lot of times the, the disciples were just kind of like, we don't know what you want us to do. Does anybody else get this? <laughs> I think, were we supposed to bring the baskets? Like who, who, whose job was that? I don't know. I got the one loaf, but that's all we got. Jesus is hangry, now we've blown it, we've messed this up. (laughs) Jesus, I love this. Verse 17, aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? (laughs) Do you still not see and understand? Now look at all these questions Jesus asks. Do you still not see and understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see? Do you have ears but fail, fail to hear? Jesus is saying to them, guys, are you paying attention? Are you, you're, you're with me. Are you paying attention to what I've been doing? He says, he says and don't you remember? You guys, do you remember? I just fed all these people with very little food. Verse 19, when I broke the five loaves uh, for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. It doesn't say this, but I'm guessing sheepishly. (laughs) And when I broke the seven loaves for 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. Notice what Jesus is doing. He is pointing them back to what they have experienced walking in relationship with him. What have you seen me do firsthand? What have you, you have eyes, but you don't see. What have you seen me do? What have you heard me say? Are you, are you paying? He's saying, guys, are you paying attention? He said to them, do you still not understand? I love that he puts still in there because it means you can understand. You're just not getting it quite Yet. So Jesus, who is brilliant, is leveraging this, this moment of, of not having enough bread. And he's saying, guys, you got to pay attention. Are you seeing what I'm doing? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Are you, you're, you're, in, you're in close proximity to me, but you're, you're here. But are you missing out on what I'm actually doing? Jesus, who is the Messiah, without just coming out and saying, guys, I'm the Messiah, is doing stuff that's saying to these guys, I'm the Messiah. Are you not paying attention, guys? I'm I'm healing people at this point in Jesus's ministry. So, you know, he's done some pretty Messiah type stuff. He's walked on water. He's been healing people. He just multiplied bread and fish and fed thousands with it. He's opened blind eyes, which was specifically prophesied only the Messiah would do. He is doing all this stuff that says, I'm the Messiah without just saying it. Here's the point I want you to see. That, he, that he's pointing them to, and I believe he's pointing us to. If you want to know who Jesus is, you have to be with him and pay attention. It's good. It's good. Are, 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 are you paying attention? Are you really with him? Are you, are you, they're in proximity to him, but, but somehow they're missing it. They have eyes, but they're not seeing. They have ears, but they're not hearing. And Jesus is also saying, guys, if you want to know who I am, look to me. Don't look to others. In fact, he warns against just what other people are saying. He warns against secondhand news. Look at what he says. He says, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Now, yeast, for those of you who don't know, yeast is this kind of like single cell organism stuff that you put into a batch of bread and it begins to work its way through the dough of that bread. And it begins to work its way just a little bit, can work its way into the bread and completely transform it. The the shape, the size, it causes it to rise. It changes the flavor of that bread. It transforms the bread. So Jesus says, hey, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. He's saying, hey, watch out for the message that some people are saying about me. Some of these people over here, they don't know who I am. They don't have a revelation of who I am. They're actually speaking directly against me right now. And just so you know, if you, if you continue to allow a little bit of that into your life, it's going to get all up in you. And there's going to be stuff that begins to rise up in you. There's going to be stuff that begins to transform the, the way you see the world, your shape and your size. There's going to be stuff that, that adjusts the flavor that you should be living from. Be careful. Be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees and that... Of Herod. In other words, you can't base what you believe about Jesus on just what the world is saying about Jesus. Right. That's good. That's right. Because if you do, if you allow too much of that into your life, let me just tell you, it's going to affect you. It's going to shape you. It's going to change the flavor that you should be living in this world with. Tim Keller says in a world full of competing voices, Jesus calls us to be discerning Watch out for the influences that can subtly distort your understanding of God's truth. The Pharisees and Herod represent false teachings that can taint your faith. So here's what it boils down to. Here's what I believe Jesus was saying to his disciples, and I believe what he's saying to us today is this: if you want to know who Jesus is, don't look to them. Don't don't look don't just receive secondhand news. Look to Jesus. You have to spend time with Jesus yourself and pay attention. And in doing so, what happens is you begin to receive a, a greater revelation of who he is so that you can answer that question when it's asked of you, to you, who is Jesus? Who do you say I am? If you want to understand who Jesus is, don't rely solely on others' perspectives. you got to dive into the word. you got to engage in prayer and spend time with Jesus. That's where revelation unfolds. You with me so far, church? Okay, look back at verse, uh, chapter eight, verse 27. Jesus says, who do people say I am? They reply, this is their reply. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah and still others, one of the prophets. Now this is interesting. When the disciples are asked, what are people saying about me? They don't mention what, what the Pharisees are saying. They don't mention what Herod is saying. What Herod is saying is, you know what Herod believes? He believes that, that Jesus is John the Baptist, like somehow John the Baptist has reincarnated himself into Jesus. You know, Herod had killed John the Baptist, had him beheaded, and now he's, he's a little bit afraid that, that maybe Jesus is coming to, to kind of wreak some havoc on him for this thing that he's done. That, that's not true. That's not, that's not the message of Jesus the Pharisees, they're, they're saying that Jesus has a demon, that he's working under the influence of, of the devil. That's not true. That's not who Jesus is. And they don't, they, but the disciples don't even mention that. They actually mention some, some actually pretty good people that they bring before him they say, well, some say, some say you're like John the Baptist. John the Baptist, guys, just so you know, good guy. He was the forerunner of the ministry of Jesus, John the Baptist in fact Jesus talking about JTB says this Matthew 11:11 11, 11, Of all the people who've ever lived there is no one greater than John the Baptist. So John the Baptist guy's a great guy, awesome guy. But he's not Jesus. They say some say you're Elijah. The guy's Elijah? Listen, you want an interesting Bible study? Spend some time spend some time studying Elijah. He's like the Chuck Norris of the Old Testament. He's amazing. Like there's some incredible stories. The guy, I'd put him on the Mount Rushmore of the Old Testament. This guy was a baller, okay? In fact, he's such a baller. I can't get into too many stories, but let me just let me just leave you with this one. At the end of his life, he doesn't die, he just goes. Baller. Elijah's pretty awesome, pretty amazing, but he's not Jesus. They they say, some say the prophets. There's some great prophets in the Old Testament, but they're not Jesus. The point is this, they they point him back to some some pretty significant Old Testament (laughs) figures, some pretty amazing people, but the reality is that's not who Jesus is. That's not who Jesus is. Here's what I want you to see: Not all the opinions of the world about Jesus are just outright bad. They just don't really recognize who Jesus is. See, the world, for the most part, recognizes that Jesus was significant. Like you, you can't help but notice that Jesus was significant. Time, listen, Him showing up on the scene split time in half. A, D, B, C. That all happened because Jesus showed up. There's been more songs sung to and about Jesus, more paintings painted of Jesus than any other figure. More, he's been on more magazine covers than anybody else. He's, he, more lectures have been given about him. More talks about him have been done. More people have written about him than anyone else. Like G, more Like Jesus, we can all agree, I think anyone can agree, Jesus was a significant figure in history. But listen, that's not enough. Like for you to believe Jesus is significant, cool, but that's not enough. Jesus says, who do you say I am? And here's, who, here, here's what it boils down to when it comes to Jesus. Jesus doesn't want to be significant in your life. He wants to be preeminent in your life. Preeminent means this. It means he surpasses everything else. In other words, Jesus is number one. Significant means he's important. Preeminent means he's above all. He's he's not significant. The world thinks he's significant. You look at a lot of the different religions of this world, like take Islam, for example. They say that Jesus is a prophet of Muhammad. He's significant, but he's not preeminent. Jehovah's Witness would say that Jesus is a mighty spiritual being, but not to be worshipped as the Almighty. In other words, he's significant, but he's not preeminent. Scientologists, if you were to ask a Scientologist, you go to Tom Cruise, you're like, hey Tom. (laughs) (laughs) what do you think about Jesus? He would say, he's a great teacher. He's significant, but he's not preeminent. If you were to ask a Buddhist, they would say that that Jesus is a great prophet, a great teacher, an inspiration. He's significant, but he's not preeminent. You ask a Hindu, they would say, Jesus is God along with all these other gods. And to cover all your bases, you should worship all of them. He's significant, but he's not preeminent. Even even people that don't believe in God can recognize that Jesus as a historical figure was significant. Bertrand Russell, a known atheist, said this about Jesus. I think that there are a good many points upon which I agree with Christ a great deal more than that professing Christians do. Ouch. I do not know that I could go with him all the way, but I could go with him much, much further than most professing Christians, Christians can. In other words, I believe he's significant, but he's not preeminent. Can I take it a little bit more personally here, church? There's a lot of people that go to church, a lot of people that come to New Song Church, that would say with the way they live their life, with the way they do marriage, with the way they parent their children, with the way they deal with their finances, they're saying, they're speaking a message to the world that says, Jesus is significant, but he's not preeminent. He's not above all. He matters to me, but he's not completely in charge. Now look back at at Mark chapter 8, verse 29. After Jesus gets this answer from the disciples, he presses in further. He takes it to this personal place. He says, but what about you? What about you? Who do you say I am? Peter answered, I love Peter. Peter's my guy. Peter, like he's I, I, he's my favorite disciple. I, I think he one of the reasons I like him is because I can relate to him. Peter doesn't always get it right, but he's sure trying hard. <laughs> but here he gets it right. He nails it. He says, You are the Messiah. He says, You're the Messiah. When he, when he says this, he uses this word, you're the Christos. He says, You're the anointed son of God. Here's what he's saying. We've all been waiting for the Messiah. We've all been waiting. We've been, and, and, and you're him. You're him. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the one we've been looking to. You're him. You're what, it's, this, you're what everything boils down to. You're what, you're what this is all about. You're the one. In other words, Peter says this, you're not just a significant man. You're the preeminent Lord. You're the preeminent God. And look at how Jesus responds. We actually have his response recorded in Matthew's account Matthew 16, same story. After he says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God, Matthew 16, verse 17. Jesus says, blessed are you. I want you to notice that. There's a blessing that comes with knowing God. There's a blessing that comes with having a real revelation of who Jesus is. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Now look at this. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. Now, here's what you see. Jesus cannot be revealed as the Messiah to you just through a flesh and blood relationship. In other words, if all you know about Jesus is what someone else has told you, if all you know about Jesus is just secondhand news and it's not from a personal revelation that you have received from God by spending time with him, by pursuing him through his word, through prayer, by chasing after Jesus and getting a real revelation of his character and his nature and his heart for yourself personally, if all you know is what someone else has told you, you're probably going to have a hard time calling him Messiah, calling him Lord. You probably don't know him like you should. And because you don't know him like you should, you're having a hard time putting him in the place he deserves to be in your life, which is the place of lordship. You're probably having a hard time recognizing that you're the one that everybody's been waiting for. You're the one that everyone is, needs to be looking to, including me. You're Lord your king, your God. C.S. Lewis says, you can't know Jesus well just by reading books and listening to others. I, I, love, I love how he puts it, that you can't know him well. You can know him. Just like I can know some of you if you were to give me a, a, a stat sheet about you and it listed your height and your weight and some of your hobbies and some of that, I can learn some information about you, but that doesn't mean I know you. I don't know your heart. I don't know your character. I don't know your nature. Like some of this is how we treat God. We treat him as this historical figure to study, but not as a living, loving savior that we can come to actually know and have a personal relationship with. You don't know him well. You just know, you just know some of his stats. You've been looking at his card. You know some of his stats. It says he's not revealed through secondhand information, secondhand news, but through a direct, a direct encounter with him. God in his grace unveils the reality of Christ to those who seek him. And the main way you seek knowing God is through his word. It's through getting into the words, through studying the word. Like I hope you recognize church, what an, what an incredible gift we have in the word of God. What an incredible blessing we have. The Bible is not just a book of information about God. It, it's a portal into a relationship with him. If you want to have a relationship with God, you have to have a relationship with his word. It's through his word that you you come to really know who who he is. Through the pages of the Bible, we encounter Jesus. We come to understand the depths of his love and the beauty of his character. A.W. Tozer says this. He said that "That God has has chosen to reveal himself through his word. To truly know him is to engage with the scriptures. For there is no greater resource for a profound understanding of his nature and love. Jesus talking about the scriptures says this in John 5 39, these are the very scriptures that testify about me. In other words, Jesus isn't just in the New Testament in the Gospels, Jesus is woven through the entire scripture. The whole book is about Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. And if you want to get to know Jesus, you get into the Word, you get to know the book. And as you get into the book and you study the book, you get a greater revelation of the character, nature, heart, love, everything that God is. Jesus is in the Bible. R.C. Sproul said this, the Bible is an inspired and authoritative revelation of God's character and his redemptive work through Jesus Christ. It is the ultimate source for understanding who Jesus is. If you want to get to know Jesus, if you want to get to know God, get to know the B-I-B-L-E. In John John, uh, chapter eight, verse 31, Jesus said this. You with me, church? He said, if you abide, abide, think about abide, that word. When you have a home, a home is sometimes called an abode, right? And what do you do in a home is you abide in a home, which means you come back to your home. The home is this place that you continually return to. You go to your home, and when you go to your home, you find rest and you find peace. The home is this place that you find sanctuary in. So Jesus says, if you abide, he says, if you abide in my word, but word, the word word here he uses is the Greek word logos. It means the moral precepts given by God, the sayings of God. So Jesus here is talking about the scripture. He says, if you abide, if you keep coming back to scripture and you find your peace in scripture and you find your rest in scripture and you keep returning to scripture, you, you keep coming, going over it, looking at it, studying it, it. It's your sanctuary. You find rest and hope and peace and everything. You find it in scripture. It's your home as you live in the word. He says, then truly you are my disciples indeed. And he says this, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. The word truth is the Greek word aletheia. It means the revealed reality as taught by God and purposed through Jesus. Notice that, the revealed reality. In other words, there's a reality that's not revealed. Some of us are living and there's a reality and it's the reality of God, which is the real truth, but people are blinded to it because they're not getting into the word like they should. And that truth sets you free. Here's how God put it to me. Jesus says, if you get into my word and remain in it, the revealed reality, what's really real of God's truth and purposes will be exposed to you and you will be free. Some of you have experienced this before. You come to know God through his word. You come to know the truth. And even when circumstances aren't so good, you're still free because you know the truth and you're rooted in the truth. And your home is in the truth because you abide in the truth. So even though, you know, something may come against you because you're rooted in it, because you have dug into it and you know who God is and you know his character, you find freedom even in the midst of trials. But let me just tell you, it's there's a dangerous place to live that a lot of people live in, which is this place of secondhand news where we just kind of learn a little bit about God. And we really all we know is we know enough about God to really be in a little bit of danger. Because it's not rooted in our heart. It's not revealed to us for real. We don't really understand who God is. So we just know enough truth to really make us dangerous. For example, for example, if you've been around the church world for a while, you probably heard somebody say at some point to you, God is good. Anybody ever heard that before? In fact, I remember a time when when people used to stand up in church and they would say, God is good. And everybody would respond with? All the time. Yeah, you went to that church too. And then someone would say, and then they would reply back, All the time. Okay. So you hear that. And let me just tell you, that's the truth. God is good. God is good. And God is only good. And so you hear that and you go, okay, God is good. All right. I know God is good, but you never dig in past that. What, what his goodness looks like and how his goodness works and how this world works and how his character and nature is. And so what happens is you, you hear God is good, but then life hits you. Something happens and it ain't good. (laughs) And now you're going, wait, I thought God was good. And I've been going to church should my life be good? Maybe he's not so good. Maybe I, maybe what I've been hearing my whole life about God isn't true. Maybe this whole God thing isn't even real. Because we just know enough to be dangerous. We, we, we got secondhand news. But listen, God is good. And God is only good. And the Bible actually says that God can make all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose, right? But, but i want you to understand something in that verse there's something you need to understand in order for god to make things good that means that they're not always good Amen. for him to work things together for your good means that things aren't always going to be good listen it's not always going to be good jesus said in this world you're going to have troubles and so what happens is we face some trouble in the middle of that god wants to work a good work in our life he wants to work it together for our good but in the process of doing that, sometimes because it's not as good as we wanted it to be or this process, we don't quite understand it. We start looking at God and saying, God, I don't know if you're good. Yes. Maybe you're mean. Yes. Remember a few years ago, my daughter, Bo, she was four years old and she was outside playing in this world. You know, in this world, you will have trouble. She was in this world and she, she ran into some trouble in the form of a splinter, a little tiny splinter. And so she came in the house and my goodness, she was so cute brown hair, little hazel eyes, looking like her mom, like a mini Sarah, like which just touches my heart so much. She comes in, she's got this little splinter and she's upset about it. And so I begin to explain to her, okay, we're going to have to remove the splinter. Now, if you haven't done this in a while, let me just remind you of this process. You got to get a needle out and dig, you know, kind of work until so you can get this out. So I'm explaining this to a four-year-old Beau. And basically what she's hearing is, daddy's gonna cut both your arms off. <laughs> so she's, she is in full, it's a full on freak out sesh. And so I'm tr- we're trying to work on and get the, and it's just, it's not working. She's squirming, she's freaking out. She's nervous, I'm gonna hurt her. So we finally, we, this is what it, it came down to. We had to take her into her room Sarah had to basically lay on top of her with her face directly in Bo's face and talk to her and keep saying, daddy's not gonna hurt you, he's just gonna help you. You're gonna be okay, you're gonna be okay. She's saying this to her while I on the other end of the bed have her arm like under my thigh so I can keep her arm still and I'm trying to work with this needle to carefully remove this this thorn of the flesh, (laughs) this, (laughs) this splinter, And in the midst of this, through tears and in panic mode, she says, why are you being so mean? Now, I remember hearing that and thinking, I'm not being mean, I'm actually being good. You have a problem and it's gonna hurt you. We have to deal with this. And in this moment, here's what's happening, in this moment of trouble, in this moment of pain, she's forgetting because she's immature She's forgetting the truth she's forgetting who we are she's forgetting that throughout her life in the four years that have led up to this moment we've been nothing but good to her. we've taken care of her we've provided for her we, we have we've consoled her we've changed her diapers we've made, I mean we've given her toys like all we've done is be good to her but but in this moment when she's got some trouble and we're working with her to work her through her trouble, In this moment, because of the trouble and because of her immaturity and because she doesn't really have a great revelation of who we are in her life and our role in her life, in that moment, she begins to question truth and she begins to question love. And boy, isn't that what happens. Let me just let you in on something. I don't wish this upon you, but this world is gonna bring the pain. There's going to be stuff that hits you. I don't want that for you, but it's just the reality. We live in a broken, fallen world, and there's stuff that's going to come against us. And when it does, here's the question. Who do you say he is? Do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know his nature? Do you know his character? In the moments of pain, what do you know about Jesus? What do you personally know about him? Not what they say. What do you say? What do you know? Who do you say I am, Jesus says. And let me ask you this. Does who Jesus says he is, does that change based on the pain and circumstances of your life? If so, you don't know him as good as you should. If so, you might be living on secondhand news. Because if so, that's an immaturity. That's what immaturity is. If the truth that you know isn't setting you free, maybe it's because you don't really know the truth. Jesus said the truth will set you free. By the way, Jesus also said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if, if the truth, if what you've heard in the Bible, if when the trials and the troubles come, if it doesn't set you free, probably because you don't have a real revelation of the truth behind the truth, which is Jesus. I'm preaching better than you're this morning. So, so Jesus says, who do you say I am? Let me close with this. Who does Jesus say he is? Let me show you. John 13. Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet. And it's an incredible story. The Bible says that having an understanding of his authority, he he then stoops down and begins to wash the disciples' feet. So he has a full revelation of who he is, who God's called him to be, that all things, he has all authority. It's all been handed over to him. And his next move is to serve and to wash feet, to stoop down and do the, the work of the lowest servant. He washes their feet. And after that, he speaks to them. He says this, John 13, verse 13, he says, "'You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, "'for that is what I am.'" Now, if you didn't catch that, Jesus just said, I am teacher and I am Lord. I'm Lord. Jesus just said, I'm, I'm Lord, I'm God, he's saying here. Verse 14, now that I, your Lord and teacher. Now, I don't know if you just caught that, but Jesus repeats it, but he, he reverses the order. He's saying, hey, you guys would call me teacher and Lord, but he says, what you should do is you should call me Lord and teacher. See, a lot of people wanna call God Jesus teacher. He's significant. They wanna call him savior. He's significant. I need salvation, but they don't wanna call him Lord, which means he's boss. He says, I'm Lord. Before I'm those other things, you have to understand, I'm Lord, I am the boss, I am God. He says, now that I, your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. If I'm the boss, here's what I'm calling you to do. I'm calling you to like I'm doing, serve others to give up your life. Jesus here in this says, I'm not, I'm not just a significant person. I'm the preeminent Lord. I'm not just a significant teacher, I am Lord. Lord means, just so you know, he's the boss. Lord means he calls the shots. Lord means we order our days after him. Lord means we surrender our plans unto him. Lord means we trust him with our future. Lord, he's not just significant, he's preeminent. He is Lord. He surpasses everything else. To you, who is Jesus? Jesus said this about himself, Matthew seven twenty-one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, there it is again, will enter the kingdom of heaven. John 10, verse 30 Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Who's the Father? The Father God. We're one. He's saying, I'm God. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no way to salvation except through Jesus Christ. In John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. You find eternal life through Jesus. And whoever lives believing in me will never die. Jesus makes it pretty clear who he is in the text. I'm God. That's who he is. I'm Lord. CS Lewis says this. Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic or Lord. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can call you can fall at the at his feet and call him Lord and God but let not let us not come with, a, with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So to you, who is Jesus? Is he the preeminent Lord? If not, who is he to you, really? Now here's what's amazing. You ready for something amazing? Are you ready for something amazing, church? I'll close out if you're ready. We can keep going. If you ain't getting it yet, I'll keep going. Okay, I'll keep going. Here's something amazing. That, That Jesus, that same one that is Lord, that is God, wants a personal, real relationship with you. He wants to be close to you. He doesn't want to be a distant deity that you know some stats on. He wants to be He wants to be real in your life. He wants to walk with you, he wants to talk with you. He wants to spend time with you. And and he can be found. He's not hiding from you. Jeremiah 29 verse 12 says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. He can be found if you'll pursue him. You can know him if you'll pursue him, if you'll chase after him. So to you, to you, not to your parents, not to your spouse, not to anyone else, to you who is Jesus. Do you know him personally like you should? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes if you would. Lord Jesus, we sense your presence in the room with us today. We Thank you for being here. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for truth and that it has the ability to bring freedom to us. I just pray today that some people have been awoken to the reality that maybe Maybe we've believed that we've inherited our walk with God. Maybe we've thought that somebody else could answer for us when it comes to who you are in our life. Maybe we've settled for secondhand news when you want a real relationship, a personal, you want to give us all a personal revelation of who you are. Lord, I just pray that whatever you're saying to us today, whatever you're saying to each and every individual by your spirit in this room today through your word, I just pray that 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 truth would be sealed in our heart so that we can break out of the ruts that we find ourselves in and we can be transformed in the way we need to be transformed today. Thank you, Lord, for your word, for your incredible word that gives us revelation. Lord, we repent if we've looked, we haven't honored your word like we should, seen it for what it is. I pray that as we go to your word, as we look to your word, As we look to Scripture, God, that that you would be seen in it through us. The Holy Spirit, that you would show us Jesus. Give us revelation. Give us understanding in a greater way of who Jesus is and who he wants to be. And Lord, I, I thank you that I've experienced this in my life. My testimony is this. That the more I get to know you, the more I want to get to know you. That, like Peter when I recognize you as the Messiah, as when I when I came to recognize you're the one I've been waiting for, you're the one that everyone's looking for, through that revelation it's 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 been such a beautiful life that you've brought me to, and I pray that everyone would experience that, everyone would come to know you, who you are thank you for it in Jesus name, amen I'm going to invite our altar ministry team to come down at this time, if you're here today and have a prayer need of any kind we would love to pray with you maybe you're here today and there's been an awakening that's taken place in you maybe you would you would say i i think i've categorized jesus up to this point as significant but i've never really made him the preeminent lord of my life i've never handed over my life to him i've treated him like a fire insurance policy i I grew up in church but i've never owned it for myself i've been around christians but i've never really just said i'm giving you my all i'm chasing after you with everything i have i'm making you the boss i'm not going to section you off to and categorize you as a as as someone that's like like a life hack for me but i'm inviting you to to be the boss to be the king to be the lord to be god you call the shots if that's you today you've never done that listen god's not mad at you he's really not he just invites you to something better this lordship thing is not about him wanting to rule over you. It's about him wanting to walk with you. He wants to be close to you. And that's that's where it, it comes from, real relationships. So if you've never done that, if you've never made Jesus the preeminent Lord of your life, if you would say he's been significant, but he's not preeminent, I want to invite you to come down today and, and pray with one of our altar ministers. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to help you to to step into a real relationship with God. Maybe you're here today and you're dealing with some sickness or you're dealing with some pain or you're dealing with some financial issues. Something that's been resonating in me today is this idea that that there's blood for that. There's blood for that. Whatever you're dealing with, there's blood for that. Jesus went to the cross and his blood was shed to cover everything. The, 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 The work of the cross wasn't just to deal with your sin. It was to deal with everything that could come against you. And let me remind you, the blood doesn't cover sin. It erases sin. And in the same way, the blood doesn't just cover your pain. It heals your pain. The blood doesn't just cover that that issue of that thing, that church hurt, that, that hurt from your past that happened to you. It erases it from you. And if you find yourself today having anything that you're carrying with you, I'm just telling you, there's blood for that. And we'd love to pray with you today. And we'd love to allow... through through prayer and through faith, the blood of Jesus to come and do a cleansing work of healing for you today. So if you would, would you stand with me, church? We're gonna go back into a time of worship. And, And during this time, if you have a prayer need of any kind, you can start to make your way down to the altars. Let's lift up the name of Jesus together. Would you worship God with me? Lord Jesus, we love you. Come on out of your own mouth. Lord Jesus, we love you. We're so grateful, so grateful that you took care of everything. So grateful that we can call you, Lord, at one point. Lord, we couldn't call you, Lord. We couldn't be close to you. But now we can call you, Lord. We can walk in relationship with you. We can have a personal walk with you, Lord. We're so grateful. We recognize what an incredible gift that is. We recognize your word and what an incredible gift it is. And Lord, I just pray, if there's anyone here today in the sound of my voice that has a prayer need of any kind, that you would draw them to obedience, to step out in faith, to receive what you have waiting for them today. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening. For more information on our church or for more resources to help you grow in your faith, go to newsongpeople.com or download our app by searching for Newsong Church OKC in the App Store.